Well, Father, we come into your presence marveling, pondering, sometimes questioning the resurrection of Jesus, your Son, from the dead. So, Lord, I pray that over the next few weeks, we would gather in and consider well the ramifications of the resurrection, that we would be your church, a worshiping people, God, that we'd lift you up, we'd open our hand to our neighbor, our friend, and our family, and say, come, come, come and see the empty tomb and what it means. In the name of Jesus, and all of us said, amen. Well, everyone, uh, we take a moment, really, this week, uh, this Sunday, to talk about the vision of the church. So I'm hoping to get this very, very clear this morning uh, about why we do Lakeland and really what your role is in it and what to expect. So um, if you've just been around for a few weeks or months or whatever, or maybe you've just never heard it or you've never been to uh, like the new members or the Discover Lakeland or whatever it might be and discovering things around here, then hopefully this will be clear for you. If it's not, of course, let me know, and we'll try and get it cleared up for you. But um, so here we are then on that first Sunday after the resurrection. Can you imagine back in around 33 AD what the followers of Jesus were thinking? Rumors were all out there that Jesus had risen from the dead. The, the tomb was empty. He'd been appearing to various people and so forth. And we have to ask the question, what did the early church, what did, did all Peter and James and John, what did all of them think? What, how did they perceive it? How did they perceive the resurrection? How did they understand the whole thing? It's a really, really good question. To get an idea of this thing, this big clarification has to be stated. What we think today about the resurrection is not really what they thought about back in Jesus' time, right after the resurrection. There's a slight nuance, just a difference here going on, okay? And it's something like this. To get a clue, we're going to go to the Apostle Paul on his great chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, his first letter to the church in Corinth. He explains it right there. He is saying the big idea behind the resurrection is that death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? See, here's the distinction. We tend to think these days that the resurrection was something about going off to a place called heaven and living forever. forever. And isn't that nice? We all have fire insurance. We don't have to go to hell. And that we all now have eternal life. And we think that's the whole meaning of it. We think that's what was going on, that that's the big idea. But that's not what's really going on. There's a slight nuance to it. Think about it this way, everyone. The Romans believed in life after death. The Greeks believed in life after death. The Jews believed in life after death. They all believed in life after death. In modern times today, most agnostics and atheists believe in some type of life after death. No one needs to be told about life after death. That seems to be a given all across humanity. For thousands and thousands of years, people think something goes on beyond the grave. Right? Jesus was not the first one to introduce that idea. Here's what the first church began to think. 
It's the idea that death is dead and you can begin to live right now in the kingdom of heaven, right now today. Beyond just life after death, it's actually life after death after death, if you want to put it in some convoluted sort of way. It's this idea that you begin to live in the kingdom of God right now. So the early church began to immediately live that way. They began to share possessions. You don't need anything anymore. Everyone will share. There won't be any poor or needy amongst us. We can break bread and fellowship. We can commune. The Holy Spirit is with us. God's Spirit is right here in our midst. It's as though heaven is not a far-off place where you find little cartoon characters playing harps with long beards, you know, and little halos, and they're floating around on clouds. No, 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 no. The kingdom of heaven was here and in our midst right now. That's what we see in the early church. That's what we find Paul writing about in 1 Corinthians 15. The very last verse of that chapter on the resurrection. 1 you need to really read this. This is a great devotional study to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 58 verses long. Here's the very last verse. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see, we hear this verse. Paul's saying, hey, look, be firm, brothers and sisters. We have a calling. We have marching orders. Be steadfast. Be convicted. Be convinced. You have nothing to fear. Christ has risen. And then you're supposed to say, he has risen indeed. Christ has risen. There you go. Yeah, it, it is Easter. Um, Post-Easter. Therefore, Paul says, excel in your work. You have work to do. See, what happens these days is we think, oh, great, Easter, Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, I guess we all just sit around and say, like, oh, well, you know, let's just go around and tell each other and do a little bit of like, hey, you know, we all got life after death. Isn't that pleasant? <laughs> That's not what you find going on in the early church. They're all saying, like, we got work to do. There is stuff to be done. And you know what? It's been going on for nearly 2,000 years. This mission is on point, and you and me and all of us in the room are on it. Anything else is just religion. We have work to do, everyone. You are the eyes, the hands, the feet, the social media of Jesus. Everything you say and do counts on whether or not somebody is going to hear the gospel in an appropriate way that says God loves you. It matters. So let's just be clear about the big why. Can we have the big why, please? We have a big why. This is our mission around Lakeland. It's very straightforward, everyone, to build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. To build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. This is what we do. We are building something. We aren't just sitting on the sidelines. We are in the game. Why are we here? We are here to build something. The critical word on this whole thing is build. Right? It's construction time, everyone. That's what we're doing. Now, 
What are we building? The kingdom of heaven here on earth. What is it looking like? Well, the master designer, God, hasn't really told us what the final consummated kingdom will look like here on earth when Jesus Christ returns. We haven't seen that. But we do know that you and I, brothers and sisters, are in charge of pulling together the building materials of the kingdom of God. We are gathering the supplies. And you know what the supplies are? People. People are the supply of heaven here on earth. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is why your life matters. What you do, how you talk, how you spend your days, it all is a part of the building materials of the kingdom of heaven. Paul says you could build with sticks and straw. And when the judgment of fire comes, the proofing fire, it's not really a kill you fire. It's actually more of a refinement fire. And we always miss this part in scriptures too. It's like refining silver, not like burn and go away. And we can talk about that later on another time. About what the second coming looks like. But when the straw and the stubble gets burned away, what's left? Ah, gold and silver. You and I don't really know if what we're doing right now actually will last. But we can read the scriptures and find out. And I bet you anything, it has a lot to do with loving people. Hmm? This is what we're trying to build. Gather in the materials of the, of the master's designer and, and go about your life as one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. This is your job. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a Bible expert. You don't have to be anything but a loving person. It is amazing at work or wherever else, just a small amount of compassion absolutely flabbergasts people these days. You get somebody a cup of coffee, and they'll think you're a saint. You go pick up a neighbor's trash can that's blown down the street, and they think you're like some sort of humanitarian. As opposed to standing there in your window looking out saying, like, how come the neighbors don't go pick up their trash cans? Like, what kind of slobs are those, you know? Like, anybody could do that. You want to be spectacular? Pick up a piece of trash. (laughs) Talk about putting the cookies on the bottom shelf here, you know what I mean? That's why we do what we do. To build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. It is the most awesome mission humanity has ever conceived of who else in human history has changed the world more than jesus christ no one and how did he do it he died and rose again don't you think that you and i will have the same exact mission to die to self for the sake of someone else that's our big why we've been doing this since day one Back in the early days, it was tough. And let me tell you how tough it was. It was hard in those early days, long before we had a home around here. It was a tough time in those early days. Oh, we struggled back then. It was so sad and pathetic. In those early days, we met in a restaurant, in a room above a restaurant. And it was cold. Oftentimes it was snowing 
The little children had to find things to eat. So we moved to a movie theater where they could scrounge hot tamales and junior mints and maybe some stale popcorn and suck up some stale Coke in the carpet. But our friends were coming to Jesus and it was all worth it. We used to have this sad joke at the movie theater and it went something like this. Hey, you're bleeding. And the response was, where? I remember one morning, my toe got ran over by a big container, 600 pounds. And my big toenail folded up like an accordion and my white tennis shoe filled with bright red blood. I started wearing leather shoes after that. But let me tell you, it was all worth it. It was all worth it in those days because our seeking friends came and the church grew. And eventually we said, we need to have our own place. That's what we did in those early days. Let me tell you how tough it was. And we got stories like this one. Russ, can we roll the Becky Conrad story? So my name is Becky Conrad, and I've been coming to Lakeland this time around anyway for about two years. I used to go back when it was in the movie theater when I was in elementary and middle school. But in high school, throughout college, and a few years after that, I really drifted, didn't do much of anything, honestly, when it came to my faith. And in walks uh, Jamie, (laughs) Jamie Davis, who used to be my youth pastor, one of my youth pastors back when I went to Lakeland in the theater. And then a few days later, I had a friend who suddenly said, you know, we should go back to church. And the timing of that, it was definitely a God moment for me. I want to try going back to Lakeland. And so we did, and I walked in, and I felt like I was home. For the first year that I was here at Lakeland, I was kind of on a high with my faith. I got involved in everything that I could. But even though I was getting really involved, there was still a bit of a wall. I had a lot of guilt over the fact that I had been gone for so long and almost some guilt that I was welcomed back so easily and so quickly supported. I actually went to the baptism in 2016, went to be with the Lakeland community, and I left about five minutes in because I was drawn to getting rededicated, to getting rebaptized. But the thought of it, there was just this barrier, uh, this emotional barrier that I couldn't get past. But whenever I saw Lakeland and how they did their baptisms in the lake, I, I was really drawn to it. I wanted to do it. I came to realize that part of what was holding me back was still a little bit of the guilt for having been gone for so long. And that was why I valued Marta and eventually my mom when I talked to her about it. I valued those two women so much because in some ways I felt, I felt like they extended me the same grace that Jesus does every day. And so I went forward with it and I got there and there were so many people from Lakeland it was just, it was this beautiful, 
celebration in that moment. It just, I could feel him everywhere. And it was this moment of looking down and thinking, okay, he knows every drop of water in this lake. He knows every grain of sand on this beach. It's just the sheer power and yet that he still loved me and wiped away all of my sins. The love I felt from him, the love I felt from my mom, from Marta, from everyone standing on the beach, that's always going to be there no matter what. Yeah, that's a cool story. Thanks, Becky. Did you, did you hear it? Did you hear what she said? The critical phrase that stands out in Becky's story is this. They extended grace to me just like I get from Jesus. People acted graciously. Graciously. To build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Requires... The wind of the Spirit upon us. That we'd be blown towards God. It's the big what. Can we have the big what? I'll get it. The critical part on this is the surrender together love. These make up many, many things, about 15 or 16 various uh, habits, as we call them around here. And I just want to bring out the one that Becky brought out, the one about grace. Grace is what we're all about around here. I, it's amazing, over the years, over 20 years, I've talked to so many people who have come to Lakeland. And over the years, I run into people who've gone to church as children, even as adults, They've spent their entire life in the church, and they are still somehow mistakenly convinced that they get into God's good favor through their good works. They still don't understand that salvation is a gift of God. That is the what. The why is because of this great mission of building this community. The what looks like several disciplines Grace and Bible and prayer, standard stuff. Any of us could probably come up with that list. These, these everyone, these are the habits of the Christian life. You could, we could get into a really quick argument about which one you think is most important. I think prayer is really important. Oh yeah, but I think grace is really important. Oh yeah, the Bible, don't forget about the Bible. Oh yeah, what about serving other people? Oh yeah, that's important. Communion. For the liturgy people around here are like, oh, yeah, the communion, you can't have church without that. On and on and on. These are the critical habits of what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like. See, I think the problem is we get confused about what grace is. Right? Because I think we get grace confused with mercy. And they're not the same. I believe we're thinking about mercy and we mean grace. But mercy's not the same as grace because mercy is like when you get a speeding ticket, okay, and um, you go to court and the judge reduces your fine. That's mercy. When the judge reduces your fine or, or your penalty or whatever, that's, that's, uh, 
a judge being merciful. Maybe, maybe the judge, maybe she's uh, merciful and she reduces your fine because she sees that you're a single mom, you know, and you had the baby in the back seat or whatever, and, you know, and that's fine. Or maybe you're just, you know, guys, you're just good at whipping up some crocodile tears, you know, and looking pathetic, and, you know, that she has mercy on you. Gives you a break. Maybe you're a student, right? And they give you a break. But that's not to be confused with grace. Don't confuse mercy with grace. Mercy is getting a break. Grace is a free gift. Instead, just to keep the metaphor going, grace would be like this. The judge says, yes, you are guilty. You're 100% guilty of the crime of the law. You've broken the law. You're going to get the full penalty of the law. And then the judge says, I'm going to pay your fine for you. Really? Pulls out their wallet, pays your fine. But that's not all. As a matter of fact, it looks like your crime was so heinous as a speeding ticket that you're going to get jail time. And I'm going to serve your jail time as well. Oh. Wow. What did I do to deserve that? Nothing. Not a thing. Oh, as a matter of fact, you didn't just fail to obey the speed limit. It says here that you were having a very bad, no good, rotten day because of something you read on Facebook. And you ran over an entire bus stop load of small, innocent children. You are guilty of murder. Multiple murder. And you are going to get the death penalty. And the judge takes off their robes, steps down and says... Put the cuffs on me. I'm going to the chair for them. That is grace, not mercy. It's inexplicable. It doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. And that is what Jesus Christ did for you and me and the rest of the world. That's how you get into the kingdom of heaven. That's how it works. And us, in turn, extend that same grace to everyone around us. This is how we change the planet. This is how it gets done, everyone. This is how it's all going to get done. God is grace. Grace is God. Grace is God's habit. It is his nature. If God woke up in the morning... Let's just say he doesn't, but let's just say he does. His habit would be, what am I going to wear today? How about grace? What am I going to have for breakfast? Grace. What am I going to brush my teeth with? Grace. That's just God's world. That's his habit. So, if what, why we do what we do is to build a community of authentic followers, then the what is this series of habits of spiritual disciplines. That's the what that we do. These disciplines, right? That we come together fearlessly as one, as an authentic friends focused on the mission to build a Christ-like community. And then at the same time, we love. And you find this sequence of progress going on. We surrender to Jesus, we come together as the church, and then we love others with grace. That's how it gets done. 
Anything else is not Christianity. It's just that simple. It's a simple process. All right, so here we are. We know what our mission is. We know what our big why is. We know all these disciplines, so great. That's some marching orders there, too. Like, wow, I really do need to like, probably get into my Bible. I need to extend grace to people. I need to be compassionate towards folks and so forth. You know, I need to do that same. So how would it get done, right? What's the big how? Could we have the big how? If you're talking around here at Lakeland, and this gets really particular to Lakeland, some of this other stuff could apply to other churches as well, but this is how we are going to get it all done. The how, it really consists of when and where. When and where do I show up? What do I attend? What do I need to learn? What am I going to do to actually get these habits into my life? How's it get done? We call it around here, milestones are how we get it done. Milestones. There's a brand new big mural wall out there with all of these various milestones on it. And you can see that for children, this actually developed the milestones idea, really developed out of the children. Because you can see that when you're an infant, you know, what we do is infant baptism. We set a child up for the promise of the covenant. Someday, they're going to get to confirmation. I can't see it. I don't know if you can either, but hey, obstructive view, right? Cheap, cheap seats are up front. Is that what's going on here? Um, and so they'll, they'll come to all these various things. So the bottom bar along there is really predictable for the children. They get all the way through. Right? Marking off. It's easy to do this with children because they grow. It's easy to have milestones with children, right? I mean, uh, at our house, we have, um, it's interesting this past year, we are on our third layer of handprints and footprints on the skirt around the Christmas tree that Lori started, where each year the kids take fabric paint and they put their hands on the Christmas tree skirt, you know, and we had to get it sewn on a third one. Because early on, we, they put their feet on there. You know, they kind of got into it. It just got really busy. Um, but now here they are, you know, teenagers. And we had to add a whole new layer to it. This thing's huge. It takes up half the living room, this tree skirt. But you can look at the milestones of their life. Little tiny hands, little tiny footprints, you know. And then they just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then there's snacks all over it and everything like that. Did you know, though, that adults also have spiritual milestones in life? You can't see them necessarily in maturity unless you just start losing your hair like me or whatever. I don't say losing my hair. I mean lost my hair. Let's just get the verb tense right. Um, But this happens with adults too, right? First, we awaken to Jesus. Sometimes it's dramatic. Sometimes it's just sort of like, yeah, this totally makes sense to me. God loves me. I get it. Grace. I didn't think anything else about God. But other people, man, they get knocked off their horse, like Paul. Big awakening. And then they begin to to dive into the life of discipleship. They begin to learn things. And so around here on the when and the where is we have these various classes that Pastor Garrett, Pastor Marta teach. Uh, I even get involved with some of these things, too. They love this stuff. This is where you're going to learn about the Bible. This is where you're going to learn about your history of Christianity. This is where you're going to learn to get those habits that we're talking about over here, like grace and so forth, into your life. This is where we get this stuff done. Teach you having a devotion. They're going to present to you then, as you progress along, you're going to find out, you know what? I have gifts. I have a calling. God has uniquely crafted me into a certain way. I have become something, and I'm going to use that 
for God's advantage, for the kingdom of God's advantage. Back to the building materials by the master designer. Some are gifted as evangelists, others with hospitalities, others with teaching, others new ministries. Uh, our friends around here at Lakeland, uh, Melanie and Sam Huckabee, own a dentist, um, a, what do you call it? A dentist office, a dentist shop. I was going to call it like a dentist shop or something like that. Like you go in there and buy like rolls or something. But so they're dentists. And the, you won't believe how many people who don't have money they serve. They even have a day a year where all of their staff bring somebody in who can't pay for something and needs some really serious dental work done. And they just perform that work for them. Nobody knows about it that much. I kind of hear about it because, you know, Sam and I talk a lot. But that's just one person. Uh, other of you around here, you know, uh, you think the flowers out in front of the church, where do you think those came from? They came from a business person around here. It just says, just quietly, nobody knows about it. I'm just going to do that. Keep it going with the seasons. How are you going to leverage your life, your career, your neighborhood, everything for this? You, you discover your gifts, right? Okay, so here's a little secret. How you discover your calling is probably because of some tragedy and suffering and loss in your life. This is the weird thing about, about the human condition. How many people who were once drug addicts who stop being drug addicts, go on to become social workers working with young kids who are at at risk for drug abuse? How many people who grew up in a tragic, violent, abusive home end up helping other people and kids in abusive homes? On and on and on. Your your mistake that was either done to you or that you did on your own is actually probably something to do with your calling. Right? Isn't this the way it works? I'm just saying, I don't think you can plan your calling. I think it comes upon you. And I think we need to recognize that it often comes from a very bad place. That God turns into something for those building materials for his kingdom. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Your loss your suffering, become your gift to the kingdom. That takes a maturity. That takes a milestone. You come to that sort of sense. All right? That's the way it works around here. Um, I'll tell you about somebody around here. And because of her suffering, she suffered from a condition called a fistula that she started an entire ministry in, over in Liberia, setting up a hospital rescuing young women from a life of disease and death and uh, being ostracized and doing surgeries to repair fistulas. You know what? You could go with her. And if you say, oh, I could never do that, well, hang on to your butts. (laughs) Because you know what God does with that sort of statement? says like, uh-huh, let's just see. I don't know if God got some little sicko entertainment thing going on, but the second you say, I could never do that, God says, oh, let's just push you way off the <laughs> cliff edge. And then your life changes. That's the way it is. You see, everyone, 
we get this terrible picture of God being this old fuddy-duddy. Instead, every morning God is up way before you saying, what are we going to do today? Let's just do it all again. <coughs> it's, it's out of control. This is the Christian life. We are the ones who are the old fuddy-duddies. Right? It's God who is way younger than us. God is like a small child being pushed in a swing. He just says, let's do it over and over and over until your arms break off. This is the inexhaustible grace of God. This is how it works, everyone. Now, my particular specialty around here in the church and the milestone stuff is the inward journey. There it is. It has a tree stump with the rings on there because, one, you have a lot of rings at about this point. This is called midlife. And secondly, your tree gets cut off. Whoops. And suddenly, you begin to examine life. And so I take people on retreat. That's the when and the where. You sign up for a two-year journey. The next generation of this will start in January, so you got a little time if you're thinking about it, but I'll just go ahead and begin to sell it now. And you begin to think, like, I've got to get away and find out what's going on inside me. What was the point of my life? And how come I don't pray? How come I don't want to pray anymore? How come I don't want to read the Bible anymore? How come I don't want to go to church anymore? Oh, come with me. I'll teach you how to really pray. A whole new way to read your Bible. And a whole different church. There is a way forward. And I'll just say it. Most churches never get to this point. But Lakeland does. And you need it. Especially if you begin to question everything. And by the way, just if you want a taste of this, uh, end of the month, um, we haven't announced this yet, but um, there's a class. It's on Sunday morning at 845 on the 29th of April. So here at the end of the month, uh, 32 people max. Come learn about this whole journey and everything we're talking about here on Milestones. I'm going to give you the spiritual, biblical basis for the entire thing. If you want to learn this whole thing in depth and detail, an expanded version of it, there's a thing out there called Critical Journey. It's on Connect, and you can sign up on the form, all right? Or come talk to me, and I'll walk you through it on your phone app or whatever you got there, and we'll get you going on this deal. And it's for those people who are thinking, like, I want to know how this whole thing works. Moreover, it's especially helpful for people who feel stuck in their spiritual journey, right? And I'm talking, like, people who've been through the ringer, all right? Or just getting old enough to where you've been realizing that you've been stuck in the ringer for a long time. All right. So let's get that done too, all right? So um, that's the inward milestone. The last one's on there, the outward union with God. I'm just going to do this. For those on the podcast, I'm, I'm shrugging my shoulders and lifting my hands up. <laughs> we don't hear anything about these people. These people are the saints. They don't, they don't have a dog in the fight. They just serve. They give. They're martyrs. <clears throat> you know what I discovered this year? I dug and I dug and I dug because you can't find anything written about this stage. You know what it's marked by? Radical generosity. These people divest. Like, really? I thought in old age I was supposed to be scared spitless of not having anything. Like, guess what? Once again, in the whole God scheme of things, you don't have anything. 
you get on a plane and go dig wells in Nigeria with your walker if you have to. This is what you do. You give. You give it all away. You do begin to realize you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. That's what you have to look forward to, Christian. It doesn't matter anymore. You are free, and that's why you're in union with God, because God gave it all away. That's your hope. Not fighting and scrapping and struggling, trying to hold on to what you have. Be free. Yes, indeed. Well, we move into this one gift as we become those people, if the servers could come forward, uh, who gathered around the table that night, that Thursday night before Good Friday, those disciples who came around Jesus. And as Jesus broke the bread on the night he was betrayed, he took that loaf of bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body that's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after supper, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again, Paul says. You see, everyone, it's not remembrance like a wake for a dead person. It's a remembrance to say, remember that Jesus is with you right now. He'll be with you tomorrow morning and tomorrow night and every here, day hereafter. The remembrance is not about remembering an old dead guy named Jesus. The remembrance is realizing that Jesus is already up and standing at the foot of your bed tomorrow morning saying, what are we doing today? That's what we're supposed to remember. This meal says, you eat and drink Jesus every moment of the day. We just come together to remind each other and say, hey, 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 brother, sister, remember when we dip this, tear off this piece of bread and dip it in the chalice and eat it? This is who we belong to, and this is our mission. This is why we get up in the morning. Got it? Well, let us stand then and pray the way Jesus taught us to pray. Join me, everyone. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And therefore, everyone, we proclaim the mystery of faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day, may Jesus Christ be as real to us as his food and drink. Come forward whenever you're ready. Tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the chalice, and return to your seat in prayer. Come forward. Well, we have a special benediction for all of us uh, during these seven weeks of the Easter season leading up to Pentecost, and we will, there'll be some stuff on the screen. We just did it first time last week, so you don't have to be an expert at this, but we got a little call and response, and here's the way it goes. 
Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, everyone, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Everyone, hallelujah. Christ is risen, or he is risen. I messed up. I'm starting over. Face the cross. We got this memorized, except for me. There, now I do. Hallelujah. He is risen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace, everyone.